Chapter Four of The Garden of Folly by Stephen Leacock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four: The Perfect Salesman: A Complete Guide to Business. I admit at the outset that I know nothing direct, personal, or immediate about business. I have never been in it. If I were told tomorrow to go out and make a hundred thousand dollars, I should scarcely know how to do it if anybody showed me a man on the street and told me to sell him a municipal six per cent bond i shouldn't know how to begin i wouldn't know how to approach him or how to hold his interest or how to make him forget his troubles or how to clinch him or strike him to the earth at the final moment as to borrowing money which is one of the great essentials of business i simply couldn't do it as soon as i got across the steps of the bank i should get afraid scared that they would throw me out i know of course from reading about it that this is mere silliness that the bankers are there simply waiting to lend money just crazy to lend it all you have to do is to invite the general manager out to lunch and tell him that you want half a million dollars to float a big proposition you don't tell him what it is you just say that you'll let him know later and the manager so i gather will be simply wild to lend you the money all this i pick up from the conversations which i overhear at my club from men who float things but i couldn't do it myself there's an art in it to borrow money big money you have to wear your clothes in a certain way walk in a certain way and have about you an air of solemnity and majesty something like the atmosphere of a gothic cathedral small men like me and you my dear reader especially you can't do it we feel mean about it and when we get the money even if it is only ten dollars we give ourselves away at once by wanting to hustle away with it too fast the really big man in this kind of a thing can borrow half a million button it up in his chest and then draw on his gloves and talk easily about the league of nations and the prospect of rain i admit i couldn't do it if i ever got that half a million dollars i'd beat it out of the bank as fast as a cat going over a fence so as i say i make no pretensions to being a business man or to knowing anything about business but i have a huge admiration for it especially for big business for the men at the top they say that the whole railway business of this continent centers really in four men and they say too that the whole money power of new york is really held by about six men the entire forests of this country are practically owned by three men the whole of south america though it doesn't know it is controlled by less than five men and the atlantic ocean is now to all intents and purposes in the hands of a little international group of not more than seven and less than eight think what it would mean to be one of those eight or one of that four or even one or two of that three there must be a tremendous fascination about it to be in this kind of really big business to sit at a desk and feel one's great brain slowly revolving on its axis to know that one's capacious mind was majestically turning round and round and to observe one's ponderous intellect moving irresistibly up and down we cannot wonder when we reflect on this that all the world nowadays is drawn by the fascination of business it is not the money that people want i will acquit humanity of that 
few people care for money for its own sake it is the thought of what can be done with the money oh if i only had a million dollars i heard a woman say the other day on the platform of a social service meeting and i could guess just what she meant that she would quit work and go to the south sea islands and play mahjong and smoke opium i've had the same idea again and again salesmanship and the perfect salesman the most essential feature of modern business is i imagine salesmanship my readers may not appreciate this at once they seldom seem to get anything readily and so i will explain some of the reasons which lead me to think so without salesmanship we could not sell anything if we could not sell anything we might as well not make anything because if we made things and couldn't sell them it would be as bad as if we sold things and couldn't make them hence the most terrible danger that the world can face is that everybody will be buying things and nobody able to sell them this danger of not selling anything which used to threaten the world with disaster only a short time ago is now being removed salesmanship my readers will be glad to learn at least if the miserable creatures ever get thrilled at anything is being reduced to a science a great number of manuals of salesmanship are now being placed within reach of everybody and from these we can gather the essentials of the subject in the small space which is here feasible to devote to the subject it is not possible to treat in an adequate way such a vast and important subject as modern salesmanship for complete information recourse should be had to any one of the many manuals to which i refer and which can be had at a trifling sum such as ten dollars or even more but we may indicate here a few of the principal points of salesmanship personality of the salesman it is essential that the salesman should have charm if he wishes to sell anything let us say lead pipe for use in sewers and house drains he will find that what he needs most in selling is personal charm a sort of indefinable manner with just that little touch of noblesse which suggests the easy camaraderie of the menagerie in other words he must diffuse wherever he goes in selling sewer pipes a sense of sunshine which makes the world seem a little brighter when he is gone in person the perfect salesman should be rather tall with a figure which suggests to his customers the outline of the venus de milo according to the manuals of salesmanship he can get this figure by taking exercises every morning on the floor of his hotel bedroom but the discussion of that point has been undertaken already let us suppose him then with the characteristic figure of a venus de milo or if one will of a paduan mercury or of a bologna sausage we come in any case to the all-important points of dress how shall the perfect salesman dress every manual on the subject emphasizes the large importance of dress for the salesman indeed there is probably nothing which has a greater bearing on success and failure in the salesman than his dress the well-dressed man in selling let us say municipal bonds has an initial advantage over the man who comes into his customer's store in tattered rags with his toes protruding from his boots unshaved and with a general air of want and misery stamped all over him customers are quick to notice these little things but let the salesman turn up in an appropriate costume 
bright and neat from head to foot and bringing with him something of the gladness of the early spring and the singing of bird and the customer is immediately impressed in his favor one asks what then should be the costume of the perfect salesman it is not an easy question to answer obviously his costume must vary with the season and with the weather and with the time of day one might suggest however that on rising in the morning the salesman should throw round him a light peignoir of yellow silk or a figured kimono slashed from the hips with pink insertions and brought round in a bold sweep to the small of the back this should be worn during the morning toilette while putting the hair up in its combs while adjusting the dicky and easing the suspenders if breakfast is taken in the bedroom the liver and bacon may be eaten in this costume breakfast over the great moment approaches for the perfect salesman to get out upon the street here the daintiest care must be selected in choosing his dress and here we may interpose at once a piece of plain and vigorous advice the simplest is the best the salesman makes a great mistake who comes into his customer's premises covered with jewelry with earrings in his ears and expensive bracelets on his feet and ankles nor should there be in the salesman's dress anything the least suggestive of immodesty no salesman should ever appear with bare arms or with his waistcoat cut so low as to suggest impropriety some salesmen especially in the hardware business are tempted to appear with bare arms but they ought not to do it for evening wear and for social recreation the case is different when work is over the salesman in returning to his hotel may very properly throw on a georgette camisole open at the throat or a lace fichu with ear flaps of perforated celluloid but the salesman should remember that for the hours of business anything in the way of a luxurious or suggestive costume should be avoided unfortunately this is not always done i have myself again and again noticed salesmen especially in the hardware business where they take their coats off to be wearing a suit calculated to reveal their figure round the hips and the lower part of the back in an immodest way all this kind of thing should be avoided the salesman should select from his wardrobe or from his straw valise a suit of plain severe design attractive and yet simple good and yet bad long and at the same time short in other words something that is expensive but cheap he should button this up in some simple way with just a plain clasp at the throat agate perhaps or onyx and then having buttoned up all his buttons but mark me not until then he should go out upon the street prepared to do business let any of my readers who doubts the importance of dress and some of them are nuts enough to doubt anything consider the following little anecdote of salesmanship it is one that i selected from among the many little anecdotes of the sort which are always inserted in the manuals anecdote of the ill-dressed salesman a salesman in the middle west whom we will call mr blank called upon a merchant whom we will call mr nut and finding no difficulty in approaching him started in to show him his line with every hope of selling him it should be explained that the line which mr blank carried consisted of haberdashery 
gents furnishings and cut to fit suits mr nutt was evidently delighted with the samples and already a big pile of neckties gents collarings gents shirtings and gents stockings were stacked up on the counter and an order form for three hundred and seventy five dollars and fifty cents all ready to sign when mr nutt noticed the salesman's own costume mr blank who was a careless man in regard to dress though otherwise a man of intelligence was wearing a low crowned derby hat with a scooping brim over his ears a celluloid collar and a dicky that was too small for him his coat sleeves came only a little way below his elbows and plainly showed his cuffs fastened with long steel clips to his undershirt in other words the man somehow lacked class mr nutt put down his pen i'm sorry mr blank he said i can't buy from you your line is all right but you lack something i can't say what but if i had to give it a name i should call it tone blank however who was a man of resource at once realized his error one moment mr nutt he said don't refuse this order too soon with that he gathered up his valise and his samples and retreated to the back of the store behind a screen in a few minutes he reappeared dressed in his own samples the merchant delighted in the change in mr blank's appearance kissed him and signed the order approaching the prospect so much for the salesman's dress a matter of great importance but still only a preliminary to our discussion let us suppose then our salesman fully dressed his buttons all adjusted and drawing well his suspenders regulated and his dicky set well in place his next task is to approach his customer all those who understand salesmanship are well aware this is the really vital matter everything depends on it and nevertheless approaching the merchant is a thing of great difficulty the merchant if we may believe our best books on salesmanship is as wary as a mountain antelope at the very least alarm he will leap from his counter ten feet in the air and rush to the top of his attic floor or perhaps he will make a dive into a cellar where he will burrow his way among barrels and boxes and become completely hidden in such a case he can only be dug out with a spade some merchants are even crafty enough to have an assistant or sentinel posted in such a way as to give the alarm of the salesman's approach how then can the salesman manage to get his interview with the merchant or to use a technical term to get next to his prospect the answer is that he must stalk his prospect as the hunter stalks the mountain goat or the wild hog dressed in a becoming way he must circulate outside his prospect's premises occasionally taking a peep at him through the window and perhaps imitating the song of a bird or the gentle cooing of a dove pleased with the soft note of the bird's song the prospect will presently be seen to relax into a smile now is the moment for the salesman to act he enters the place boldly and says with a winning frankness mr nutt you thought it was a bird but it was not it was i i am here to show you my line if the salesman has chosen his moment rightly he will win the merchant once decoyed into looking at the line is easily landed 
on the other hand the prospect may refuse even now to see the salesman and the attack must begin again this difficulty of getting the merchant to see the salesman even when close beside him and the way in which it can be overcome by perseverance is well illustrated by a striking little anecdote which i quote from a recent book on salesmanship the work i may say is authoritative having been written by a man with over thirty years of experience in selling hardware and perfumes in the middle southwest anecdote of the invisible merchant a salesman whom we will call mr m i should perhaps explain here the m is not really his name but just an ingenious way of indicating him while travelling in the interests of perfume in the middle southwest came to a town which we designate t where he was most anxious to see a prospect whom we will speak of as p entering p's premises one morning m asked if he could see p p refused m went out of the store and waited at the door until p emerged at the noon hour as soon as p emerged m politely asked if he could see him p refused to be seen m waited till night and then presented himself at p's residence mr p said m can i see you no said p you can't this sort of thing went on for several days during which m presented himself continually before p who as continually refused to see him m was almost in despair perhaps i may interrupt this little story a moment to beg my readers not to be too much oppressed by m's despair in these anecdotes the salesmen are always in despair at the lowest point of the story but it is only a sign that the clouds are breaking i will beg my readers then if the poor simps have been getting depressed to cheer up and hear what follows m we say was almost in despair when an idea occurred to him he knew that mr p was a very religious man and always attended divine worship church every sunday disguising himself therefore to look like one of the apostles m seated himself at one side of mr p's pew mr p mistaking him for st matthew was easily induced during the sermon to look over m's line of perfume the above anecdote incidentally raises the important question how frank should the salesman be with his prospect should he go to the length of telling the truth an answer to this is that frankness will be found to be the best policy we will illustrate it with a little story taken from the experience of a young salesman travelling in the north southwest in the interest of brushes face powder and toilette notions anecdote of the truthful salesman a young salesman whom we will indicate as mr asterisk travelling in brushes and toilette supplies was one day showing his line to mr stroke a drug merchant of a town in the east north southwest picking up one of the sample brushes mr s said to the salesman that's an excellent brush mr a answered no i'm sorry to say it is not its bristles fall out easily and the wood is not really rosewood but a cheap imitation mr s was so pleased with the young man's candour that he said mr a it is not often i meet a salesman as candid as you are if you will show me the rest of your line i shall be delighted to fill out a first-class order mr s answered mr a 
i'm sorry to say that the whole line is as rotten as that brush more delighted than ever mr s who was a widower invited mr a to his house where he met mr s's grown-up daughter who kept house for him the two young people immediately fell in love and were married mr a moving into the house and taking over the business while mr s now without a home went out selling brushes while we are speaking of the approach of the prospect it may be well to remind our readers very clearly for the poor guys don't seem to get anything unless we make it clear that a prospect otherwise invisible may be approached and seen by utilizing his fondness for amusement or sport many a man who is adamant at his place of business is mud on a golf course the sternest and hardest of merchants may turn out to be an enthusiastic angler or even a fisherman the salesman who takes care to saunter into the store with a dead catfish in his pocket will meet with a cordial reception and a conversation pleasantly initiated over the catfish and its habits may end in a handsome order at other times it is even possible to follow the prospect out to his golf course or to track him out to the trout streams and round him up in the woods in this case salesmanship takes on a close analogy with out-of-door hunting the search for the prospect the stalking of the prospect and the final encounter being very similar to accounts of the stalking of big game i append here an illustrative anecdote as a matter of fact it was written not in reference to salesmanship but as an account of hunting the wallaboo or great hog in the uplands of east africa but anybody familiar with stories of salesmanship will see at once that it fits both cases i have merely altered the wording a little just at the end anecdote of a hog i had been credibly informed says the writer that there was at least a sporting chance of getting in touch with the great hog at his drinking time it will be observed that apart from the capital letters this is almost exactly the remark that a salesman often makes the natives of the place told me that the hog could probably be found soon after daylight at a stream about ten miles away where the brute was accustomed to drink and to catch fish i therefore rose early rode through the thick squab which covered the upland and reached the stream or nullah just after daybreak there i concealed myself in a thick gob of fuzz i had not long to wait the great hog soon appeared sniffing the air and snorting at the prospect of a drink extending himself prone on the bank with his snout in the water and his huge hindquarters in the air the hog presented an ideal mark for the sportsman i rose from my thicket rifle in hand and said mr a i have followed you out to this trout stream in the hope of getting a chance to show you my line if you have a few minutes at your disposal i shall be glad to show you some samples if you don't care to buy anything i can assure you that it will be a pleasure to show my line the text seems to go a little wrong here but we can make it all right by reverting to the original which says after letting him have it thus i had no trouble in hauling the great hog up the bank where i skinned him just one other question that may be mentioned before we pass on from this fascinating topic of salesmanship should a salesman accept presents especially presents from ladies on the whole we think not 
it is a delicate problem and one which every young salesman must think out for himself but the salesman should always remember that a firm refusal if made in a gracious and winning manner is not calculated to give offence if after concluding his business the salesman finds that the merchant endeavours to slip a bracelet or a pair of earrings into his hand the salesman should say i can't take it old top i really can't then kiss the merchant on the forehead and withdraw a present from a lady should be returned with a neat little note so framed as to avoid all offence and yet letting the donor realize clearly that the salesman is not that kind of man let us turn now from the problem of salesmanship to the equally important field of advertising the whole art of advertising i suppose it is no exaggeration to say that salesmanship and advertising are the two most important things in the world one of the biggest advertising men in the country is reported as saying the other day in his big way where would the world be without advertising the more you think of this expression which only a big man could have expressed the more you are struck with the truth of it indeed it has just exactly that pith that pep that punch which all good advertising ought to have it sets you wondering right away as to what advertising really is as to what constitutes good and bad advertising and how the world got on during the dull centuries which did not advertise as a matter of fact the whole world got on very badly this may be understood when we realize what the world was like before advertising existed christopher columbus we are told spent eighteen years vainly trying to persuade the sovereigns of europe to discover america under present conditions all he would have needed to do would have been to circulate among the kings a form letter with the heading do you want a continent or put a picture of himself on the paper with one hand extended towards a cloud in the sky and the legend this man discovers continents or better still put up picture placards showing the american marines at target practice in the matamoros bay mexico in other words advertising has now been reduced to a science thus taking its place alongside chemistry salesmanship dynamics comparative religion nursing astronomy poultry and other college subjects it has become the subject of so many manuals and guidebooks that nothing is easier than to give a brief resume of the general principles of advertising advertising may be described as the science of arresting the human intelligence long enough to get money from it it is carried on by means of printed notices signboards placards and above all owing to the simplicity of the human mind by pictures it consists of commands exhortations adjurations summonses directions and other authoritative appeals the first essential of a good advertisement or notice is that it must be brief in the earlier days of advertising this was not understood when first the railways were built in england and signs were put up to indicate dangerous crossings they were written in small writing and read as follows any person or persons proposing to cross this railway track at this point at a time when a train or trains may be approaching is or are warned that if he or she does it 
he or they are in danger of coming into collision with it or them this was found ineffective in america the simpler plan was adopted of putting up a notice look out for the cars even this was presently found to be too long and was replaced by a simple sign look out and perhaps look would be enough next to brevity the thing demanded in a good advertisement is that it should be as peremptory as possible fifty years ago such notices were to be seen as the following no person or persons can be permitted to enter these premises unless he or it enters in the course of some definite transaction pertaining to the business of the company this was presently replaced by the sign no admission except on business but how much superior is the up-to-date printed notice keep out this shows us that every good advertisement must be as personal as possible it should begin this is you or listen you poor simp or it should ask some direct question such as do you ever take a bath what would you do if your wife ran away and so forth when once the general principles of advertising language are grasped it is not difficult to convert ordinary common english into first-class advertising prose i will give you a few examples which will show at once the enormous gain in emphasis force and directness which is imparted to a passage in literature when it is turned into advertising take first a few stanzas from longfellow written presumably with a view to stir the reader into noble activity but unfortunately expressed in a tone that verges on drowsiness tell me not in mournful numbers life is but an empty dream for the soul is dead that slumbers and things are not what they seem life is real life is earnest and the grave is not its goal dust thou art to dust returnest was not spoken of the soul let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate still achieving still pursuing learn to labor and to wait in a way this is not half bad there is a certain life to it but it fails to bring up the idea of the need for immediate effort with sufficient prominence compare the advertising counterpart young man this is you do you want to remain all your life on a low salary if not why not be up and doing still achieving still pursuing we can show you how why not take a correspondence course our curriculum includes engineering poultry mind reading oratory cost accounting and religion don't wait start achieving now or take another example from the same poet the opening lines i believe of the poem called evangeline this is the forest primeval the murmuring pines and the hemlocks stand like druids of old with beards that rest on their bosoms this poem which was not without merit in its original form is now immensely improved when used as material for the tourists advertisements mr businessman do you ever take a vacation what about the annapolis valley for the year's outing why not visit the forest primeval where you may stand buried in reverie under the murmuring pines and the hemlocks or emerging enjoy as fine a meal for a dollar as you will get anywhere why not dream yourself back into the days of the coureurs des bois and the belted and plumed seigneurs within easy reach of a garage and with a first-class plumbing all through the house 
why not bring along the wife and take her into the heart of the primeval forest the next example is taken from shakespeare originally it formed part of hamlet's soliloquy on death but nearly every line of this passage has been transposed and improved by the modern advertiser to be or not to be that is the question whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them the advertiser expresses the same thought with much greater point do you feel only half alive are you aware of a heavy sensation after eating and a sense of inflation after drinking a cup of tea if so why not take arms against a sea of troubles do you know that calcul taken as one pill a day will restore tone and vigour to the system effecting an immediate restoration of the tissues and rebuilding the bones remember the name calcul my readers will long since have suspected if the poor simps are sharp enough ever to suspect anything that advertising as we have been seeing again and again is superior to reality and this is indeed the case by the time the advertiser has finished with his exhortations and his glowing descriptions and his pictures he has created a world far brighter than the poor place in which we live who would not wish to be transported to the bright glad world of the painted advertisement and there live forever there to watch the glistening limousine roll on its distended tires guaranteed for twenty thousand miles in front of the georgian residence the shingles of which can be laid by two men in one morning and are really cheaper than the best italian tiles see the faultless youth whose suit please note it is marked down to twenty nine dollars and fifty cents but will only stay down till saturday you can't keep a suit like that down watch him as he stands on the clipped green lawn the seed of that lawn can you believe it is actually sold for only fifty cents a packet and you can have some observe the gladsome girl beside him don't you wish you knew her do you know why she is gladsome it is because her digestion is kept in such extraordinary order by taking one calcul pill a day i suppose that you are aware that those glistening brown leather shoes that she wears combine style elegance and comfort in a way that gives ease to the foot and allows free play to the bones of the thorax if you don't know that you need only consult the little dotted diagram in the corner of the picture showing the human foot anatomically with bones of the thorax moving freely in the fibula and to think that that shoe can be had everywhere at fifteen dollars and seventy-five cents in short if you will take a comprehensive glance at the red and white house and the green lawn and the glistening motor-car and the aspect of young love in the foreground you will realize that advertising is just one more item added to the pictured vision of unreality better than life itself End of chapter four